0: If you have uh, Bibles with you this morning or on your phone, I invite you to turn to Psalm 119. It's also printed in the bulletin. Uh, You can find it on page 513 in the Pew Bible. We'll be starting at verse 65. And uh, while you're finding Psalm 119, I do want to make a little announcement. And this announcement is really not for the big people in the room. This, This announcement is... For those of us in the room that might be a little bit younger, no, I'm not even talking about me. I'm talking about younger than me. Um, so I want to see how many young people we have here today. Is there anyone here who is two and three? Anyone in the room that's two and three? Okay. Anyone who is four and five years old? We got a couple. One, two, three. Any four or five? What about uh, six and seven? Any six and seven year olds? A couple. Can I see your hands? Yeah. All right. Great. About 8, 9, 10. Oh, man, there we are. Cool, <laughs> right? Okay. So this announcement is for you guys. So I want you to listen. Big people, you can listen too. But this is really for you guys, okay? Uh, so when I was one time a little bit younger, you might not believe this, but I was actually a little boy too. There was a time when I was 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7. And my parents took me to church every week. And I would sit in the pews, just like you all are sitting right now. And I really loved church, except for the part where the pastor kept talking (laughs) and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. And I started to get wiggly, and my parents started to pinch me, "Sit, sit still, be quiet, you know. And then thankfully, there'd be somebody sitting around me who would hand me a Werther's, and I could suck on that. But then i get all excited because I got all this sugar. I think maybe you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's really hard to just listen when the guy keeps talking and talking. And you know, now I'm all grown up, and what do I do? I talk and I talk and I talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And so it got me to thinking and wondering, as I'm talking every week, I kind of wonder, God, did anyone hear all the things you wanted me to say? And I think about you guys. And I know God wants you to hear things. I know he wants you to know how much he loves you. I know he wants you to know how he wants to help you grow into mommies and daddies and people that work and take care of others. And so it got me to thinking, and I remember how hard it was to hear all this talking and know what it meant, and I want to do something about that. So starting next week, Right before the offertory, when all the plates are passed and people put their offering in the plates, we're going to start having children's messages every week. And so I'm going to say, are there any children who would like to come up this morning? And at that time, when you hear me say that, you can run out of your pews and you can come up here and we're going to have a seat up here and we're going to have a children's sermon, children's message, okay? So that's going to start next week. Um, Parents, maybe that was information for you too, so you can encourage your little ones to come up and uh, invite friends to come to worship as well. But that will be starting next week. Does that sound okay? All right. Now, I went up to age 10. Are there any middle school and high school kids here this morning? Let me see your hands. Come on. Where are they? All right. Okay. Now, I haven't forgot about you. Now, I might need you as we get started here. I might need you to help me teach them some of the lessons. Would you guys help me with that? Is that possible? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. It's a good thing you answered, because I would wait till I get an answer, and then it would be forever before we get out of here. All right. Um, so that's going to start next week, and I'm really looking forward to that. But for now, I've got some talking to do, and I think the Lord has some talking to do, and he's going to speak to us through his word. And uh, so as we turn our attention to God's word, I would ask for you to join me as I pray for us. Lord, as we come to this moment in this service, gathered as your people to be blessed by your word, we ask that you would help us to have a posture where we would sit under your word so that we might receive it. Lord, keep us from standing over your word in a way that we might think we could judge it. Help us to have our hearts and minds positioned in a way to truly be blessed by it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So you can listen now and follow along as I read God's word for us from Psalm 119, beginning in verse 65. The psalmist writes, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me, Give me understanding, that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me, according to the promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me, that I may live, for your law is my delight." Let the insolent be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I might not be put to shame. Amen. Well, this is the final week of our sermon series, uh, hashtag blessed by the word. And we've been looking at and wrestling with this idea of blessing and how it is that we determine whether or not we are blessed. And each week we've been uh, having a focus on how God's Word ultimately guides us into blessing. And so far we've looked at Psalm 1, which really set the stage um, for us that shows us that the blessed person is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates it on day and night. Uh, We also looked at Psalm 19 the following week and saw how the Word reveals God's holiness and perfect righteousness to us. And as it does that, it reveals to us our own sin and imperfection. And yet, in response to our sin, God's Word also shows us the perfection of God's grace towards us. Then last week, we looked at Psalm 73, which shows us that when we are in some of our most bitter and difficult seasons of life, When we really can be in those positions that cause us to question, as we look at the the prosperity that people who are not following the Lord have, we look on that and we envy it and we wonder, why, God, why are they prospering and we are not? We can begin to wonder if we're really blessed that only an encounter with God can heal us. And in Psalm 73, the psalmist had his perspective change. as God gave him a glimpse of the future. As God kind of reoriented him around what true blessing and prosperity are. And in the, ma- in the meantime of doing that, God also humbled him to see his need for God's grace. And so this morning we're closing our series. And we're looking at one of the most famous psalms in the Bible. Psalm 119. And it is a masterful work of poetry. For those of you who are not familiar with the structure of this, it is an acrostic poem. 176 verses. And every 8 verses begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so there are 22 stanzas. Um, it's really an amazing work of art that the Lord has preserved for us. And the reason that we're looking at this psalm today is because it touches on the same realities that we've been looking at through this entire series. You know, One of the questions that I've raised every week is, what happens whenever all the blessings and good things in life, or some of the blessings and good things in life, I should say, what happens when those things end? What happens in those seasons when we don't feel like we have a season of goodness and blessing that we're walking in? Am I still blessed? This might be one of the biggest criticisms in our culture of Christianity is that to, from the outside perspective, God seems to be inconsistent with his promises. In other words, if God is really as good as he says he is, if he really loves us as much as he says he loves us, then why do bad things happen? Why does he allow us to go through hardship? Why doesn't he protect us from these things? You see, I think people don't believe in God and have trouble believing in God, not because God promises too little, but because he seems to promise too much. He seems to promise so much that he would be faithful to us and prosper us. And bless us, and then we experience trial and difficulty, and we have a hard time reckoning, what does this mean? It makes us question, why is this happening to me? And we might ask God, why are you letting me go through this? And so we want to look for some comfort. We want to find some justification, some relief and explanation for why God is maybe still, in the midst of this hardship, he's still holding up his end of the bargain. Psalm 119 kind of shows us that. It's a big psalm, but there's a unity to all 176 verses, and that unity is found in that every line gives honor to God's word. There are some parts where the psalmist gives honor to God's word by talking about how perfect God's word is. There are some parts where the psalmist talks about how God's word serves as a guide. It can protect one's foot from slipping. It can make one wise. The psalmist gives honor to God's word by talking about how much he loves God's word and takes delight in it. But some parts of this psalm, as we already have read, honor God's word by giving a testimony to how the word has brought comfort to the psalmist. And that's what we're going to focus on today. I think it can be hard for us to catch, you know, you have 176 verses to read, and so After a while, you might think, okay, I just got to knuckle down and get through this thing. Many of these verses might sound like they're saying similar things in English. But within this massive psalm, there's a story. There's a testimony of how God worked to guide the psalmist into seeing how blessed he is, despite being in a hard place in life. The psalmist's story might be hard for us to see because he's bringing us right into the middle of it. As he's writing the psalm, he is in the middle of affliction. But it's in the middle of the psalm, in the passage that we've already read, that the story becomes more clear. And so, most of us, when we go through trials and hardships, can cause us to question God's goodness. It can lead us to wrestle with our faith. And that's exactly what happened for the psalmist. But in the process, he actually found incredible comfort through God's word. And I'm going to point out three ways, just three ways this morning. And the first way is that through the Word, God showed him his faithfulness to his past. So through the Word, God displayed to the psalmist that he's been faithful to the psalmist all through this ordeal of affliction. We're not told all the details of what the psalmist is doing prior to his affliction, But we are given one key detail. He writes in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. The psalmist bears his soul before us, and he admits that prior to his affliction, he was not walking closely to the Lord. Why is this important? Well, it shows us that he was not always able to say the things that he says about God's law throughout the entirety of this psalm. He talks throughout Psalm 119 about how he delights in the Lord and how he walks in the ways of the Lord and how the Lord's word is such a blessing to him. But this testimony is that there was a time where that was not the case. There was a time where he was astray and straying from the Lord. We can't miss that. And so this is a testimony of a transformation that has taken place in his life. That somehow, through this affliction, he was brought into obedience. Instead of something terrible happening to him that drove him further away from God, this affliction actually brought him nearer to God. But we're given a second helpful detail. Interestingly, the psalmist doesn't see his affliction as anything but a blessing. He writes in verse 71, It's good for me that I was afflicted. That I might learn your statutes. I'm not sure how you feel when you're going through difficult times in your life, but I think it can be very hard to see those difficulties as a good thing. They're painful, they come with a lot of frustration and a lot of uncertainty. But the psalmist, through God's word, finds comfort because he sees this hardship now as a blessing. As painful and as difficult as this affliction has been, he sees that good has come out of it. And so now he strives to keep God's word. His affliction has helped him to learn God's statutes. It has been a a resource that the Lord has used to transform the heart of the psalmist. We have one more detail that helps us fill in the picture of where the psalmist has been in this place of affliction. In verse 75, he writes, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So the affliction didn't happen by chance. It's not something that God couldn't protect him from. It's something that God chose not to protect him from. the amazing thing is that the psalmist is not bitter about that, but instead he's grateful. See, there's something important going on here that we can't miss. When he was afflicted, it woke him up. It sent him searching for answers. And the search led him to pour over God's Word, and when he read God's Word and understood, he saw his affliction from an entirely different perspective. As he saw in God's word, the affliction was a sign of God's faithfulness. He gives his testimony to that fact here for us, that God kept his end of the promise. So God was using affliction to discipline the psalmist. There's a saying in church that God comforts the afflicted, and God afflicts the comforted, the comfortable. And I think that's exactly the moral that God would have us know from this testimony, Hebrews 12 gives us a teaching about the place of discipline in the life of God's people. The author of Hebrews uh, writes that, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This is the truth that the psalmist sees, that the discipline of the Lord was a sign of God's faithfulness and love. You see, in our nature, we would tend to think that that place of affliction and discipline would be the worst place to be because it's painful, because it disrupts the prosperity and the blessing that we feel that we have. So we would tend to think that place of suffering would be the place of of most danger and despair. But the psalmist wasn't in the most danger in the valley of affliction. He was in the most danger when he was straying from the Lord. Prosperity sometimes has a way of numbing us. Making us uh, a little bit more resistant to our need of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in the account that Luke records in Luke chapter 6, we have the, the famous passage where Jesus gives the, P, the Beatitudes. And I want you to note something about the four Beatitudes that Jesus gives. So, Beatitudes are statements of blessing, these are the conditions of the people who are blessed. According to Jesus, blessed are you when you are poor. Blessed are you when you are hungry. Blessed are you when you are mourning. Blessed are you when you are hated and excluded and reviled on account of the Son of Man. Notice all of those circumstances are circumstances of affliction. And Jesus is saying, You are blessed. When you find yourself in these places. Now Jesus continues in his sermon on the mount. And he lists a list of woes. Which basically are a description of a condition of tragedy. A condition that will lead to sorrow and disappointment of deep suffering. Excuse me. Listen to what he says. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when people speak well of you. Jesus takes our conception of prosperity and blessing and what it means to be in a place of of woe and deep suffering, and he flips it on its head. He challenges kind of the paradigms that we would naturally think in. And why is he doing that? The point is that Jesus is highlighting that the comfort of those things can bring numbness to our hearts. That we might not feel the deep need that we have for God and his grace. And so God uses affliction to wake us up and get our attention. We are blessed when we are poor and hungry and mourning and hated and excluded because it puts us in a position where we are yearning for deliverance from God. And that's exactly where the psalmist is. In seeing that God has brought him into affliction and made an effort to save him, he writes, You have dealt well With your servant, Lord, according to your word. Think about how difficult that is to say in the midst of a hardship or tragedy, to say, God is dealing well with me according to his word. This is a grace that he is walking me through this hardship. But he can say that because he knows God didn't give him what he actually deserved. God could have let him go, God could have just taken him out, extinguished his life on the spot. But God brings just enough hardship into his life to unsettle him, to wake him up. It's kind of like the lyrics of the hymn that we sing, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. The hymn goes on to say, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That is the condition of all of our hearts. We, like the psalmist, are prone to wander. But through affliction... God can call us back. God shows himself to be faithful. So faithful, in fact, he'll even use affliction to save us from ourselves. And when the psalmist sees how the Lord has worked in his past, he finds comfort in God's faithfulness. But he also finds comfort in a second way. He's comforted by the way that God's word encourages him to walk through the affliction that he's presently in. As the psalmist is directed to see his affliction as a sign of God's faithfulness, it encourages him to lean by faith into God's faithfulness for his present affliction. Now, this isn't in our passage for this morning, but it's in Psalm 119. And the psalmist expresses how he takes comfort in God's word. Listen to these two verses. He says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Verse 52. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Now, because he is afflicted, he's in a situation, in a circumstance, where those around him are mocking him and are wronging him. And we see this in our passage this morning. They're seeing a man of God who's in a condition where he doesn't look like he's blessed. In fact, his life looks like a shipwreck. It looks like a mess And so they are coming against him. They're scorning him. And so the psalmist, being convinced of God's faithfulness and goodness, requests God to comfort him even in the moment as the the affliction deepens. He says, You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies. But with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding." That I may learn your commandments. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to the promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. You see, the psalmist is seeking God's faithfulness in the present hour of need. Because he's seen God be faithful in the past, He knows and trusts God according to his word that he can be faithful even now. That he can sustain him in his present moments. We have to catch the the depth of transformation that has taken place. Think of how much God has done to teach the psalmist to trust him in this way. He took this guy from prosperity to poverty. From ease to struggle. But in doing so, through the word... God has revealed himself in such a powerful and palpable way, the psalmist feels that if he could just have God's presence with him now, he can be sustained through this affliction. Well, the psalmist doesn't just find comfort in seeing how God has worked in the past and how God can sustain him in the present, but he also appeals to the comfort that God can bring him by being faithful to him in the future. Psalmist has already seen purpose in his affliction. He's already seen how God can be with him, how God promises to be with him. And so he seeks comfort from God for the future. Something that is not as present in our text is how he looks for deliverance from his affliction. Even though he knows God has put him there, he also knows that God doesn't intend to keep him there. He trusts God's word that the affliction is for a moment, but the blessing would be for a lifetime. And so he knows that he can appeal to God for deliverance, and in fact, he prays for that. It reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.18, who says, For I do not consider that the present sufferings are worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For we know that for those who, who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's verse 28 of Romans 8. Like Paul, the psalmist sees that the present sufferings are only building anticipation for the day when God faithfully delivers. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. The psalmist also finds comfort in something else. He finds comfort in the idea that his hardship and deliverance could actually serve as a testimony to others. Did you catch this as we went through the passage? Verse 74, he says, Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. Likewise, in verse 79, he says, Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. Those might seem like odd statements. But essentially, he's saying that God's faithfulness and goodness can be a comfort for others. That as others see how God has been faithful and good to the psalmist, as he has displayed his hope in God's promises and his trust in who God is, others will see that and find comfort as well. And isn't it amazing that that's exactly how God answered his request? That for us, thousands of years later, on a Sunday morning, we're looking at Psalm 119. And we're looking at the testimony of the psalmist. And we can find comfort in knowing that this is how God deals with his people. That God acts to save them from themselves. That God will walk with them through the hardships that they're in. And that God will be faithful to deliver them. And the testimony has been preserved for us by God's own inspiration and preservation so that we might look to the psalmist and see these things are true. But there's actually a greater comfort that we can know from Psalm 119 too. Within the words that God directed the psalmist to write, God is pointing us to a deeper comfort than the testimony of the psalmist. Within the words of Psalm 119, God has written, of one who would truly bring comfort and rejoicing to the hearts of his people. There's one that God wants us to see as we look to this psalm, who was afflicted and suffered, not because he strayed, but because we strayed. God had the psalmist write these words, so that when we are in affliction, we might see the amazing comfort that he has made available to us through his son, Jesus the Christ. How can we know that God has been faithful in our past? Because at the right time, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place and take judgment that should have come down on us. The words of the psalmist are really the words of Jesus. Jesus is the one saying, as the suffering servant, in faithfulness, you afflicted me. It was God's faithfulness to us that he put affliction on Christ. And though the afflictions and trials we experience can be hard, we are not cut off from the love of God. Paul emphasizes that in Romans chapter 8. Why is that? Because Jesus was the one who was cut off for us. When we see how God has been faithful to us in the past in the work of the cross, we can know that he can be faithful to us in the present. Because there was something that was accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection. That Jesus died and rose again And ascended and he sent his spirit to fulfill the promise that he will never leave us or forsake us no matter how far we might stray. That in the midst of our affliction, he can transform our suffering into comfort. How is that done? You know, some of the affliction that we experience as believers is self-inflicted. Some of the affliction that we experience comes from others. But if we're united to Christ, as one of God's children, all of our affliction is redeemed. It's not pointless. It's not something that happens in vain. If we're united to Christ, all of our affliction is redeemed. As God's people, whatever the source of our affliction is, God uses it to bring us closer to Him. And we may be like the psalmist. We might be in a position this morning where you're going through hardship and it's a wake-up call. God's trying to wake you up and help you see that you need him and that you're straying. We may be walking more in the likeness of Christ, where we are experiencing the hardship and the suffering on account of the name of God, suffering for his name. But in either case, as we walk through affliction with God, placing trust in Christ at every step, Something amazing happens in our affliction, a way that our suffering can be redeemed. And that is that others can look to what God is doing in our life and see Christ and rejoice. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes an amazing word of comfort to the believers in the Corinthian church. And I think it is so helpful to us as well. in comfort too. And when we see how faithful God has been, how faithful God is, how faithful God will be, we know that through Christ, even though we might experience affliction, one day our comfort will be eternally secure because Christ was afflicted for us. Brothers and sisters, I pray for us that we would know the comfort of the Lord, and that we would find and access the deep well of His promises and grace through the power of His Word. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how, in the middle of this massive, beautiful work of the psalmist describing his joy and love and reverence for Your Word, there is hidden within it a testimony of deep and abiding comfort that he had found. Father, we thank you for how it points us to Christ. Help us to trust by faith in the work that Christ has done and to experience the knowledge and assurance of what it means to walk with you and how you use even the times when every prosperity is stripped away to draw us nearer to our true source of blessing. We ask that this would be so in our lives. In Christ's name. Amen.